All right, let's get this party started, shall we? Open your Bibles, if you got them, to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. The word of the Lord. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Let me stop here. You know, the Bible gets accused of a lot of things, but among the least fair is boring. All right, uh, this verse should make your, you know, kind of wake up a little. It's like a virtual stimulant, right? Coffee. I mean, you read this, it kind of makes you pause a bit, right? What did God just say about a person's face and fecal matter? This is a surprising statement from the Lord. So whoever you are, whoever you are, you pause, especially if you enjoy potty humor. This is like a potential life first for you. All right, I know some of you do, so there's that. Let me keep going, though. Must we get caught up in that. Verse 4. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me, or revered me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Now, uh, this week, we're going to go through the big concept here. Really a big concept in Malachi is priesthood. All right, and we're going to talk this morning specifically, the title of the sermon is Priesthood Then and Now. We're going to explore this morning how we are called to be priests, sort of big picture. And then next week, I want to explore the, the verbal part of being a priest that uh, God gets into here in verses 6 through 9. Communicating truth with others. That's what we're going to talk about more next week. All of this will culminate into our servant evangelism cookout on March 5th, when each of us will have opportunity to live out together our role as priests. Not just individually, but together as a royal priesthood. Let's pray together as we go through this. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. So we ask this morning, Lord, would you open our eyes to behold, to understand, and begin to apply the wondrous things out of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. And now, O priest, this command is for you. Opens the second chapter of Malachi. 
So clearly what we are reading is addressed to these Old Testament priests. So why are you reading this and am I preaching about this? Because if you have trusted your life to Jesus, you, my friend, are a priest. You are a priest. Not this kind, an Old Testament priest. Not this kind, right, with a nice collar. Nor this kind. I'm just trying to go to other religions, ancient and new. Nor this kind. I just enjoy the movie Caddyshack and the bishop in it. Nor this kind. Uh, Whoever remembers the band Judas Priest. Uh, I know, I'm sure many of your favorites. None of those kind of priests, but this kind. And this kind. Everyday people who love Jesus. You are called to be a priest. Why is this so important? Because if you find it important to talk to God directly, if you find it important to get understanding and wisdom from His Word directly, and important that others who don't yet know Jesus discover that there is a way to know God directly, if that is important to you, then the concept of priesthood is foundational to this kind of direct relationship with God. We might consider direct access to God obvious. But is it? Is it really? Many of us still tend to live in a lot of fear. And so we prefer traveling on an indirect route to God, especially through other people. Not only do we prefer this in our own relationship with God, but in terms of intercession, you are a priest to others. So what, what, do, what does that mean? What does that mean? These are the things we're going to talk about this morning. Let's talk priesthood then and now. All right, so first, then. Which takes us to Malachi and this covenant that God makes with Levi, which is basically a family of priests. All right, so let's read verses 4 through 5 together here. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him, and basically by proxy his family, his lineage, was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear. He feared me. We'll talk more about this big concept of covenant, actually, in a few weeks. There were major covenants though, and and, and smaller ones, smaller contracts that God would put together with his people. Now, this one is a smaller one, all right, on the scale of things. In fact, we don't know a great deal about this covenant. It's only given mention three times in the Old Testament, and when it's given mention, it's very brief. But we can ascertain that this covenant had certain promises and certain sort of typical obligations that were uh, inherent to any covenant. God promised to protect and provide for this tribe, this family of Levi. And it became their privilege to care for God's tabernacle. They would take care of the place. They were basically the janitors of the tabernacle, the caretakers. So this is where the Mosaic Covenant was kept in this tabernacle, all right? And God's presence was supersized. Now eventually, when another family, not Levi's family, another family fails... God asked the Levites to be priests in that tabernacle and in the temple eventually to make sacrifices on behalf of others. 
Now, I can't get all into sacrifices too much this morning. If you want to, you can listen to more about that from the sermon two weeks ago. But I'll say this, that because life was in the blood, so a person who was spiritually dead to God because of sin, they were dead to God because of sin, couldn't have spiritual life restored unless another life was offered. Couldn't have spiritual life restored without the payment of a life, because God is just. And just as God is perfect, so perfection was required of an animal sacrifice. You had to bring your best. But there's a problem, because the priests, at the time of Malachi, stopped living up to their end of the covenant. They sort of look the other way when people bring in sacrifices that were blind and crippled, otherwise blemished. And people just sort of lay it on the altar and they'd be like, sure, sure, bring it in. Mm -hmm. Right? Look the other way. But of course, this is very foolish. God had security cameras throughout this tabernacle, right? They were called eyes. <laughs> they were his eyes. And his eyes see everything. I don't know what these guys thought they were going to get away with. But, here's the deal. God still loves his priests. He still loves them. And he says this here in chapter 2. He, he loves them and has a plan for the priests. How do I know this? Three reasons. One, as of the time of Malachi, they're still alive. All right, and that's not, that is not a point to be undersold. All right? Holiness of God, right there in the tabernacle, the people who are supposed to intercede between people and God, blatantly, totally disregarding God's commands. God allowed them to live. It's a pretty good deal. He loves them. He has a plan for them. Secondly, the punishment fits the, the crime. Right? Every good parent disciplines his children. And, and a good parent disciplines his children in such a way that the punishment fits the crime. That's the idea. Now, I'm not very good at this yet. I'm still working on some ideas. And I can tell you more later. And you can maybe share some with me. But punishment should fit the crime so that the lesson really sticks, right? We know this, parents. You want to you match these things up so the lesson really sticks. The priest's heavenly father punishes them by using their neglect of these pure sacrifices against them. He uses the impurity that they allow to be sacrificed against them. Specifically, the impurity comes in the form of of dung, right? Uh, or as the NIV says, awful, right? I mean, by the way, that's a lame translation. If you're using NIV, in this case, that's a very lame translation. Especially their way of saying, we don't want to say dung. <laughs> All right? But that is what God is saying, and he means it to be a vivid image. And surely, this would, say, it would be a hard lesson to learn for the priests. The punishment fit the crime. Thirdly, God still loves his priests. We see this as a plan for them because he keeps his covenant with them, right? He says this in verse 4. My, I want my covenant with Levi to stand. All this time, he remains faithful and takes care of his priests. He doesn't forsake them. He doesn't let them go. There will be a punishment, but he doesn't abandon them. And so one day, when he will be able to provide for them and for all of Israel, a priest who would offer up only a perfect and holy sacrifice. One that was without blemish forever. 
Which leads us to our second then. Then in the time of Malachi, there's a second then. When Jesus of Nazareth shows up. Who becomes our high priest. Jesus becomes the high priest. So the necessity of a priest becomes totally obsolete. Read with me if you would. Hebrews 7, we're going to read Hebrews 7, 22 through 27 this morning. We're going to notice a couple things in this. New Testament here. Hebrews 7, 22 through 27. This makes Jesus the guarantor, or the guarantor, of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Okay, so, in other words, they kept dying off. But he holds, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once when he offered it up himself. Two things we notice here. One, Christ lives. He lives. This is a powerful statement. To intercede between us and God the Father. A holy, a perfect, and awesome God. You see how this connects with last week's message when we talked about Yahweh, the I Am, holy, awesome. So we need a priest who can intercede for us forever, someone who can come between us. Secondly, we notice that his sacrifice is perfect, and it brings permanent reconciliation. So you didn't have to go over and over and over. A guy named Martin Luther found this out when he got frustrated as a Catholic monk. And he, went, he kept walking home and having an evil thought in his mind. And so he went back over and over to confession. His way of making a sacrifice over and over. But there was a permanent sacrifice that he was going to discover. By faith through Jesus. So first of all, let's talk about his sacrifice. No more need... There's no more need to offer counterfeits, to sheepishly offer what is blemished. And let's face it, are we that different from the people in Malachi's day? Remember what they said? Verse 13 of chapter 1, what a weariness this is. When they went to their version of church, what a weariness this is, they say. And then God says, and you snort at it. I don't know if we snort. We think about going to church, but more of a maybe a sigh or a, you know, sagging of the shoulders. But we are prone to go our own way and not stick with anything. Right? And going our own way is called sin. But now not only has this permanent sacrifice been made, but it is forever effective. In other words, our inconsistencies, our weariness no longer affects our access to God. Because it is a permanent sacrifice and perfect forever. You see this? His sacrifice. 
but also in verses 23 to 25 here of Hebrews 7, his intercession. Jesus lives. He lives to reach out to man on God's behalf and to bring prayers to God on our behalf. He's the go-between. Uh, a really smart guy named F.F. F. Bruce said in his commentary on the book of Hebrews, he put it this way. I love the way he puts this. Jesus is the unique mediator between God and mankind because he combines Godhead and manhood perfectly in his own person. In him, God draws near to men and women. And in him, men and women draw near to God with the assurance of constant and immediate access. I want to give you one more quote. This one's from the great South African Pastor Andrew Murray, who said in With Christ in the School of Prayer, which we have available on the back table, <laughs> he said this regarding Hebrews 7. That's a cheap plug. Nothing, nothing takes place without Christ's intercession. It engages all His time and powers and is His unceasing occupation at the right hand of the Father. How awesome is that? This is what Jesus lives in heaven to do. To listen to our prayers. To take everything to God the Father and offer it to Him. What a privilege. Made possible through His sacrifice. And so we have these two gifts from our high priest, sacrifice and intercession. Through Christ's sacrifice, we have direct access to God. With his ongoing intercession, he is constantly connecting with man and vice versa. That was then. Christ's sacrifice, Malachi, that was then. This is now. And now, friends, he calls us to be priests. So we're going to finish our time talking about that this morning. He calls us to be priests. And in doing so, there exists a tremendous similarity between us and Jesus and a tremendous difference. Both. A tremendous similarity and a tremendous difference. Tremendous similarity and in in difference in the sacrifice we make and the one he made. Tremendous similarity and difference in interceding for others in the way Jesus did and the way that we do. I'm going to explain this. But first, let's read a few verses about being priests. First, Revelations 1, Revelation 1, 5 through 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Also, Revelation 5, 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is actually an echo of Exodus 19.6, where Moses prophesies of God's people, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is fulfilled through Jesus and the establishment of the church. One more. 1 Peter 2, probably the most famous on this idea of the priesthood of believers. 1 Peter 2, 4-5. As well as chapter, uh, or as well as verse nine, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, he goes on to say in verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are priests. So what do we do? What does this mean? We're priests. What is our role? Well, it's twofold. Our role involves, involves sacrifice and intercession. You know what I mean when I say intercession, right? Coming between two parties. First, let's talk about sacrifice. There is a tremendous similarity in the sacrifice between Jesus and ourselves. Just as Jesus died for us, so we are to die to self and spend our lives offering sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving directly to God. Directly to the Father. Just as He died, so we are to die and offer ourselves a sacrifice. Specifically, what kind of sacrifices do we mean? One, the, kind of the four Ps here, right? I managed to make this into alliteration. Let's do this. All right, four Ps. Person or self. Romans 12, 1. We talked about this last week. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Actually, this was two weeks ago. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, Paul says, to offer yourself as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So, we offer all of ourselves, all of our person. That is a sacrifice we make in response to Jesus' sacrifice. Secondly, praise. Hebrews 13.15 says this, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice, priest, notice that, sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I love that it all comes together. God's name, priest, sacrifice. Oh, here in Malachi. It's awesome. All right. Got to love God's word. Third P, prayer. We're called to offer prayers directly to God. Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. This week I met with actually a couple of folks who are uh, former Catholics on a couple different occasions, one of whom said that he missed some of the, tra the tradition and the liturgy of the Catholic Church, especially stuff like incense. I went to Catholic school for four years. I remember the priest... I was always afraid when I sat on the aisle that the priest would hit me with a ball of incense. Like, whoops, like that, but thankfully, I was spared. I think, they were, I think you're trained in that as well, so they were, they were good. But the good news is, you are now a priest. And you can offer incense up to God 24-7 outside of mass hours. Isn't that glorious? You can offer up incense. A pleasing aroma to God. Directly to Him. Third, fourth P, possessions. Hebrews 13, 16. I'll just mention that briefly. These are the sacrifices we can offer directly to God as His priests. So there's a tremendous similarity in the sacrifice, but there's a tremendous difference in the sacrifice that Jesus makes and the one that we make. No matter how well we sacrifice or give, our sacrifice is never sufficient. It's never sufficient. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he says this to the Corinthian people, he says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency 
comes from God. Lest we deceive ourselves and when things are going well. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul also says this, one of my favorite verses. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Now that sounds kind of boastful. He's saying, I worked harder than any other apostle. I was the hardest worker. Right? It's like he wants to give himself a blue ribbon, right? A cookie. But then he says this, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. In other words, he doesn't excuse not working hard, but he relies on Jesus and his forgiveness, and he goes back to the cross, and he's empowered. He knows his sufficiency has to come outside of himself. And if it's not our own sufficiency that trips us up here, we grow reliant on the sufficiency of others. The problem we often face is that we, and many in our world, fear directly going to God. They fear directly going to Him. And so we find our own modern priests, if you will. We find indirect routes to God. So we get a little bit of them, so that He's pleased with us. But oh, to encounter God. So we find like pastors, priests. What about even psychics like Miss Cleo? Remember Miss Cleo? Hey, I'm Miss Cleo. She was wonderful. I think she was sued for millions of dollars, actually. And uh, it's so sad. Thinking that, that, that these kinds of people, pastors, priests, Miss Cleo, have some sort of special connection with God or the universe, right? We become over-reliant on friends or family members for advice, even practically having them make the decisions for us. You ever done this before? And I want to I make a caveat here. Not that it's bad to go to pastors, friends, family members. Certainly, I'm a big fan of what, what Solomon says in Proverbs 15, 13, that plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So it's good to get advice. It's good to get good counsel but sometimes we do that at the expense of going directly to God, being before His throne, before His face. Do you know what I mean? We have these sort of indirect routes to God. Uh, another one, another example I thought of, books. We like books. Or here on island, uh, Kindles, which can contain books, since we have so few books. Books are great because they say something new, different, exciting, right? They're, they're more relatable in a world with Twitter, especially compared to the Bible. Right? We can get certain kinds of stuff out of a book. It seems more immediate in some ways in the Bible. Another example I thought of was just even good things. Even good things can be these sort of indirect routes to God, can serve as modern priests to go between us and God. Things I remember playing guitar when I was younger. I love playing. I love music so much. I didn't like Judas Priest, all right? But I like music a lot. Even praise music so much that it became something through which I could escape. Escape even from God. I felt like if I was playing my guitar, God would sort of be happy, but I didn't really have to 
listen to him. I didn't really have to be in his presence. I really didn't have to experience the fullness of his glory. Didn't really want to go there. So I escaped to another good Christian thing. Do you know what I'm saying? We have these things that just kind of divert us a little bit from God. There are these indirect routes to his presence. And this is hard because God can encounter us through these priests. But it's always a matter of the heart. Are we seeking these things so to avoid directly encountering God? That's a big question. Why do we do this? Why do we find indirect routes to God? I think it's because of fear. And that comes down really to two questions. The first is this. Is his sacrifice sufficient? We often don't believe it is. And so we fear coming to Jesus, coming to God on our own. As we are. In other words, we fear acceptance. We fear that he might not accept us. So what do we do? We resort to strength in numbers. Right? If I have her or her goodness on my side, or if I have this confirming advice from a book, then I'm really making the right decision and I'll be okay. We don't really believe that we can listen to God and go to Him and receive from Him. Because we don't think He really accepts us. But a second question that affects many of us from directly going to God is this. Is his sacrifice going to cost me? Is his sacrifice going to cost me? I know we like parts of our lives. right? Parts that we fear losing. We fear even losing parts of our personality. If we go to God, I'm going to lose who I am. One of the glories, though, of being a Christian is being changed. We fear being changed. We fear becoming more like someone we're not. But it's one of the great glories of being a Christian. When you die to self, you don't become a Stepford wife clone. All right? You know, and just robot, right? But you become more actually like yourself than you ever were before. More like yourself than you've ever been. Because you're more like that created image of God you were supposed to be. For sin came and stained us. C.S. Lewis, great author, puts it like this in this book, uh, The Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters, he imagines sort of being this demon who is counseling a younger demon who has to tempt a man on the earth. Okay, So he's kind of imagining what it's like in the world of temptation. And so this older demon writes a younger demon. I know it's pretty crazy, uh, but it's a great book. He says this, he says, of course... I know that the enemy, and in this case, by enemy he means God, I know that the enemy also wants to detach men from themselves, but in a different way. Remember always that he really likes the little vermin and sets an absurd value on the distinctness of every one of them. So when he talks of their losing their selves, they're sacrificing themselves because of Jesus' sacrifice, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will, Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts, I'm afraid sincerely, that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. That's a glory. And it's scary. But it's awesome. Sacrifice. 
the other aspect of being a priest, intercession. There's a tremendous similarity in the intercession between Jesus and us. The similarity is that we are called to be a bridge between Jesus and others. Like Jesus is a bridge between us and God, we are called to be a bridge between Jesus and others. Think of it a bit like John the Baptist, who was called to prepare the way. Right? Prepare the way for someone to encounter Jesus. That's one of our roles. Uh, another quote by John Calvin. I'm full of quotes this morning. Sorry, this is a good one though. He said this, Christ as our high priest not only atoned for our sins, but also through his sacrifice, he received us as his companions in this great priestly office. We are Jesus' companions in this priestly office, serving alongside him. So as priests, we must be prepared to connect with God because he lives in us through the Holy Spirit. We've got to connect with God. And be used by him to connect people, human beings, with him because we are human and we can connect with them. Does that make sense? We are part of Christ's body on earth. So we're called to connect them with God. How do we connect others? How do we connect with other people? How do we form a bridge as the body of Christ? The two main ways, prayer, 1 Timothy 2.1, prayer. We bring requests before the Father. We discern the needs in a person's life and we bring them to the throne. The second way is witness. Witnessing to others. 1 Peter 2.9, we read that before. I want to read it again. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are called to proclaim excellencies. Proclaim. I heard a story a number of years ago of a Christian man and his uh, cynic neighbor. One day, while the Christian man was mowing his lawn, the cynic expressed to him how he thought religion was a crutch for the weak. The Christian man listened and then later mowed his neighbor's yard. Every Sunday evening, the Christian man invited the cynic in for supper, even though the latter would always decline. One time, when a fellow neighbor uh, fell gravely ill, uh, the cynic said, Hey, where is your God? Where is your God when good people suffer? The next week, the cynic's son fell suddenly ill. And the man, the Christian man, took care of his plants, picked up his mail, and went to the grocery store to buy dog food and a leash so he could feed and then walk his neighbor's dog. The Christian man then one day was transferred for his job and he had to pack up and leave almost overnight. And the cynic, having discovered that this man was, was vomitous, he saw the for sale sign and no sign of the man, he just stood on his lawn muttering, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. As he said this, another neighbor overheard him. And queried, hey, Frank, I thought you didn't believe in Jesus. The cynic responded, my next door neighbor was the only Jesus I ever knew. Now, this story is both inspiring and potentially dangerous at the same time. Because the insinuation is that God uses us, and this is true, to intercede between he and others. We can show Jesus to other people. 
Yet, what if I begin to think I'm the only Jesus this person will ever know? What if I start to think that? And that brings us to the tremendous difference in the intercession. Jesus' intercession and our intercession. We are never called to be the bridge between God and other people. So when we think of pride, when we think of pride, the images that flood our minds are those of power, money, temptation, lawyers. As we think and we think of issues of pride. Sorry, lawyers. We don't think so much about school teachers or nurses or ministers or stay-at-home moms or social workers, right? We don't have these images when we think of pride. But there is a kind of pride that best breeds among compassion. It's a kind of pride that actually breeds well among compassion. Which makes sense because Satan often uses what is good and he perverts it for evil. Pride begins with this. If I don't save him, no one will. It sounds kind of compassionate, but it's pride. If I don't help her, no one will. If I'm not there for him, no one will be. That's why when we represent Christ, we can be a bridge for Jesus with our actions and our words. If people admire us for our actions, friends, but we offer no words, we give a picture of what humanity can do. But with words, we explain it's humanity plus God. Because being a Christian involves something fully human and fully God. You may have heard of him. His name is Jesus. And he lives in us. And we get to be a bridge for him. Through this upcoming Servant Evangelism Cookout on March 5th, we have an opportunity as the body of Christ to combine actions with words. And next week we'll examine how a priest uses words. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, big topic this morning, the priesthood of believers. and God, I thank you for sending a priest who could offer a perfect sacrifice, namely himself, so that we can directly access, that we can have a direct relationship with you, God. What a privilege. What a privilege. And now, Lord, you call us to be priests. You call us to live our lives offering sacrifices of praise, prayers, possessions, our very person, directly to you, because of how you gave yourself to us. But the second part is almost as hard, if not harder, the intercession. Lord, help us pray about, consider being an opportunity, every opportunity to be a bridge between others and Jesus. Through our prayers, through our witness, Lord, especially. And God, prevent us from pride in doing this. Prevent us from thinking that we're the only person who can help. You call us to try to help, and you want to use us. But you want to use us so that we might witness to Christ, that we might, when someone comes to us for help, we might hold out Jesus. Not just actions, but words about the good news, about Jesus. Help us do both as your royal priesthood. In Jesus' name, amen.